You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. Bringing you tonight's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast snap Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Frank, it feels like it's been a very long time since I've chatted with you because, well, it pretty much has been. Um, I've been marooned in Toronto for the last couple of days and busy doing things there. And you've had a, I mean, unfortunately, you've had to deal with two bucks losses and the aftermath of those losses. So um, I do not envy what you had to do. I I do thank you for doing it, though. Uh, You... You, you you soldiered through and and got those done, but uh, it, it feels good to one be back in Milwaukee and two be back talking with you. Yeah, likewise. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. Like I I'm always tempted to just like you know like after especially after the last game, just be like, all right, I, who cares? I'm not. I don't. What, why do I feel some obligation to like podcast after this? Yeah. Um, but then I think you know yeah you know part of me is also like there's something. Uh, sort of like mentally, uh, I don't know, therapeutic, cathartic, maybe about like sort of talking through a little bit of what we saw, and mm-hmm. um, you know, like while watching a game, I I will be very um, emotionally engaged, let's say, and very like swearing and you know, getting mad about things and things like that. So I'm I'm not like always this, you know, I'm not. I I, I think I project a fairly cool and calm uh, <laughs> presence on this podcast, but I'm certainly not that way in the heat of watching a game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was always this way when I was writing too, that I could kind of use that, that the need to write about something as like a way to sort of kind of like mentally sort of like work through what I saw and sort of like reduce, reduce it to more of like a problem solving exercise rather mm-hmm. than just like an emotional, like screw this, I hate this. Why does my team suck? You know, that, that sort of like thing, which yes. as fans, I think obviously it's easy to, to always sort of fall into that trap. Cause I mean, that's why we, that's largely why we watch these games because we're emotionally vested. So, um, so that's a long way of saying the me talking to myself um, for 20 minutes after these games on these podcasts. I, and let's be honest, I was spoiled too. Cause I think, I think uh, the first game of Detroit series, I want to say I, I potted with our friend Mitchell Maurer, because he was at my house mm-hmm. watching the game with me. And then um, we podcasted together the first game of the uh, Boston series, because that was a day, you yeah. know, that, that early start. And other than that, um, I think I was, I think I was nine and zero podcasting by myself up until game three. So I've, I've gotten really spoiled too. And I think as Bucks fans, we've gotten <laughs> really spoiled of like thinking like, Oh, they just don't lose anymore. And 
obviously game three was, you know, a letdown losing such a close game and, you know, not playing well. It was, it was almost like doubly bad because like you don't play well. So it's like, you feel like, oh, like what the hell, like they're not playing well, especially the, obviously like Chris and Giannis and Bledsoe. And then somehow you're still in it. And then it's almost like doubly bad because then you have to deal with the agony of a double, double overtime loss yep. when you had a chance to go up 3-0 on a team that obviously the Raptors were very vulnerable at that point. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously game four was a very different story and um, Giannis and Chris showed out much better, especially Chris. Um, but, you know, it was kind of the more, it was much more of like the Raptor type problem where kind of like, you know, uh, and, and again, Kawhi's had even less help probably than, you know, in a lot of these games, especially against Philly. But um, it was more of kind of like what we'd gotten used to the Raptors before game three, where it's like Kawhi's not getting any help. And in last night's game, obviously, it was a similar story for, for Chris and Giannis, just not a lot of help after really we'd gotten spoiled for quite some time. And, and obviously the, the tables were turned in Toronto last night with uh, the Raptor the Raptor bench and the Raptor role players all, all playing great. And, you know, part of me is like, well, at some point that's going to happen. Um, but obviously I think there's still some definite takeaways and some definite things. You can look at what the Bucks were doing that um, let's just say made that also an easier task for Toronto. I think that's kind of an interesting place to start this conversation is just like, you know, the idea that this team can lose two games in a row in the playoffs. Like that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be crazy. That's not a crazy idea. Teams teams lose two games around the playoffs all the time. Like that's that's a thing that plenty of teams have gone through, especially uh, you know, like we we saw it last year, the the Bucks and Celtics only win at home, right? So you saw that, but I think there at least in my mind, there was some thought that, you know, the Bucks had kind of risen above that, that the Bucks were a better team than that. And they wouldn't drop both in, in Toronto. They would get one of those. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see the, the way in which the fan base has kind of swayed. Obviously you go from never trust the bucks a year ago to, you know, trusting the bucks more this year. And then, you know, thinking they could win some of these series and, you know, maybe they'll be close. And then they beat the Celtics in five rattle off four straight and, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe they'll do the same thing in the Raptors. Like maybe they'll they'll beat the Raptors in five. They'll give up game three or whatever it is. And I think that like giving up game three and then coming on to game four and winning by quite a bit, like that would have fit the first three games. That would have fit kind of what happened. Like, okay, so the Raptors got that one where it was a rock fight and they were at home and quiet plays 52 minutes. And okay, that's the one that they got. And instead they, they get both of them and it, it is kind of an interesting spot. And obviously I wrote about it at the athletic today, but like this is, this is the most adversity the bucks have faced this season. They get they, they've obviously only lost uh, consecutive games once during the regular season, but you know, they responded immediately from that Celtics loss in, in game one of their last series. And, rattled off four straight and this time you know they've lost two in a row so like this is this is real and i think it brings up a a number of the same questions that we saw after game one against the celtics like are the bucks going to continue to play the style of basketball that they've played the way that they've played or are they going to make some changes because in games three and four uh I, i think they largely did what they 
did in games one and two where they baited role players into taking shots that, all right, we're going to, we're going to leave you open from those spots. And if you hit them, that's great. And if you don't, well, that's pretty much exactly what we want. And in games one and two, they didn't do it in games three and four. They did. And uh, I mean that like the, the cliche or the saying is as old as time, right? Like role players play better at home. So that is something to me that's really curious about that. I'm really curious about going into game five is, is there a real effort placed on not giving up as many open looks to, to the others? Because that's kind of what this Bucks defense has been built around this year is, I mean, if you're looking at like three main characteristics, it's like, one, keep them away from the rim, which they've they've done pretty much throughout this entire series against the Raptors. Two, keep them off the free throw line. They've had varying success with that uh, throughout this series. And then three is make average-ish shooters, maybe even slightly above average shooters, take way more threes than they're used to. Like that that's pretty much what the what this Bucks defense does. And uh, I think in many ways it came back to bite them in games three and four. And I, I think there's got to at least be some thought that, okay, well, you know, those guys are going to come back to Milwaukee and they're not going to shoot as well, but the Bucks also do have to make it harder. And I, I don't know. It, it ju- it's just this really interesting kind of amalgamation of uh, a, a number of different things, but it, it's all, it's all stuff that I think in many ways we saw coming because the, the Raptors have kind of unlocked their offense uh, through Marcus All. And that means pick and pop threes, but it also means him being able to play make a little bit from there. That's what we were talking about with Al Horford before uh, the, the last series. And, you know, they're giving up the above the break threes that they've been giving up all year. Like, there's just a bunch of stuff that I think we saw coming, and it's kind of rolling into one here. And, the Bucks aren't down in this series. The you know they they are two two. They just have to win two of three games uh, to to close us out and move to the finals. So it's not it's not all the way back against the wall. But this is the most important game of their season. This is the most important playoff game of Giannis Antetokounmpo's career, of Chris Middleton's career, of Eric Bledsoe's career, of everyone's career. Not named George Hill on this roster. Uh, it's the most important playoff game they've ever seen and and i would just thus assume the the most tense and most nerve-wracking and in all of those things so uh, i think it, it makes for a really interesting game five yeah and it's kind of interesting i think um and i think i may have mentioned it on the podcast i did either last night or the after game three, but um, I think the nature of the way we react to sports now, the way sports are covered, uh, I mean, we're part of it, right? We're, we're trying to react and offer thoughts after every game in the playoffs now. I think there's, you know, this tendency to kind of swing wildly from kind of one game to the next, like, you know, whoever won the last game is suddenly like in control or now like that's the new normal of what we should expect moving forward um and i mean a lot of people are not like that i mean you know i remember after the 
the Bucks lost game one um, against the Celtics, you know, the betting markets still had the Bucks as, as favorites in that series, you know, which maybe yeah. would surprise people just given how, you know, it was the first game between these teams in the playoffs. So, you know, you didn't have like, you know, two straight games of the Bucks winning before the Celtics won a game to, you know, sort of base everything on. Um, but, you know, um, I think that, again, I think maybe as fans, we at times kind of react more to kind of the emotions and swings from game to game than the, the players and maybe even the coaches do. Um, that said, I think what you're saying, you know, what you've said there at the end is absolutely right. I mean, we also can't exactly know how guys are going to react to kind of the, the continuous ratcheting up of pressure easily. Um, yeah. And I think we've seen, you know, historically, I thought I saw some numbers that, you know, historically like game sevens tend to be like rock fights um, that teams tend to shoot worse in those games. And, and obviously it's easy to kind of say, well, cause it's game seven, maybe both teams are tight. Right. Or, or maybe it's both teams are extra intense defensively or so, something like that. Right. Like there's maybe some phenomenons like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, again, like is the, are the bucks odds of winning the series higher or lower than they were 24 hours ago? Of, of course they're lower. Um, but by the same token, uh, you know, we've seen both of these teams, well, we've seen the Bucks play great in game two. We saw the Raptors play great in game four. You can turn it on its head and say, you know, both teams were, were bad also in those blowout losses on the road. And, you know, games one and three, there were certainly some parallels in the sense that um, it was a close game um, and, you know, not a lot differentiated between the two teams. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's kind of an interesting, you know, sort of debate, right. About like, you know, how much should we be swinging kind of from one to one game to the next? I'm, I'm just looking at kind of odds for game five bucks are minus seven favorites. They've been, I'm, I'm not a gambler, so I'm not going to act like I have some sort of gambling insight, but I, I believe they've been really, really good against the spread in general in the playoffs, obviously um, not so good last night when they lost by uh, almost 20 points. But um, you know, it's, it's an interesting I think just general question, right. About like, you know, as, as Bucks fans, like how much should we, how much should our confidence be shaken uh, going into, going into a game five? Um, so, uh, you know, I think, I think again, the Bucks ultimately at this point, they have two games at home and the Raptors have one, right. I mean, to me, that's still the most important sort of way to kind of think about what's happening in the series more so than, um, you know, that the Raptors have won two in a row probably. Um and I think, you know, again, like, I also kind of wonder too, uh, and I, I did see one, I did find one article today. I was kind of curious how much like kind of momentum ha- play was at play in, in playoff series. Not not like momentum within a game, but from like game to game. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like there's like, you know, like from a betting standpoint, like after a team, I think after a team like beats the spread in one game, they're like less likely to, slightly, a little less likely to beat the spread in the next game. So, and again, like just some tangential evidence that, that you know, maybe it's not like, a snowball effect that typically happens. Obviously it can, especially if a team is, you know, younger than you might posit that. Well, yeah, I mean, if a team starts to get, feel real pressure, then, then maybe they could kind of wilt. Um, but I think, I think ultimately, you know, uh, until, until the bucks, until, you know, until a team loses a home game, um, you know, again, I'm not going to play the, oh, the series doesn't start until, until a team wins a home game or wins a road game. But um, I think until a team loses at home, the team with home court, just by definition, should have the advantage. And, and obviously it's it's 
narrower now than certainly it was after those first two games. But, um, you know, I think there's still reason for optimism if you're a Bucks fan. And I think in many ways too, um, coming home, having that home benefit and also now like needing to feel some urgency to actually adapt a little bit. Like if you're the Raptors, whether it's the coaching staff wanting to kind of keep doing what they're doing because it's working or whether it's just kind of complacency that sets in like, well, what we're doing worked in the last couple of games. So just like, you know, especially defensively, just, well, just keep doing what we're doing. Right. And that's totally defensible, but it also means you're kind of like by definition, potentially liable to not be ready if the other team makes a change. Right. And especially if it's a change that that's beneficial. And so there's always that kind of like back and forth. How do teams kind of, you know, make adjustments against one another. And obviously the ball uh, is the adjustment ball is in Mike Budenholzer's <laughs> court. And, you know, I think you, I mean, obviously you've been around the team uh, the last, well, the last season, but it uh, seems like they were playing at coy uh, as, as you might expect today. I, I think if you're like upset that Mike Budenholzer didn't say that they're going to make a ton of adjustments, then just calm down. Cause we remember the last time everyone was looking for Bud to make a lot of adjustments and they said that they weren't going to do anything different. And then they did a lot of things different in game two against Boston. So, um, I mean, we can obviously, I'll be curious to get kind of your takes on what some of those things might be to look out for. But um, it seems like, again, for now, the Bucks are kind of playing at coy, which shouldn't really be very surprising. There's really no no reason to tip their hand at this point about, you know, changes to lineups or different ways they're going to play trying to go through adjustments in my head i mean i think the the big ones that people are advocating for are malcolm brogdon in the starting lineup for nikola miritich and maybe some people are saying george hill to start over eric bledsoe i not i'm not 100 sure that i've actually seen that but um that would be my guess for what the two big ones are and you know like i think you know it's certainly possible that brogdon could start over miritich um, that would not shock me in any way. Uh, but at the same time, Brogdon, you know, is already playing more than Mirtich is. Uh, they're, they're using him. And I think one, you know, looking at Mirtich, you, you have to be hoping that him getting home means more made shots. Like you, you, you would have to hope that it's not going to be just a groan when you see him put up a, a, a three from deep, like I think probably by the end of that Raptors game or by the end of game four, you're probably thinking, Oh, that doesn't have a chance to go in. And I don't think that's often what you think with Miritich. So uh, that, I think that would be one thing like you do that. And then I think the other thing with Miritich is Bud's got to stop putting him in lineups that aren't good for him. <laughs> if that makes any sense, like that, that Miritich at center lineup, I think they ran it out twice and it was negative both times they ran it out there. Uh, I think negative, like I think negative double digits one time and negative five or six the other time. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of the night, he was a negative twelve because he was in some other lineups. Just, that were just good. to clarify, just are like, you when you say Miritich at center, do you consider those like Ursan Miritich lineups or Giannis Miritich lineups as well, or or? I, I think any of them, like any and all of those are just like not, not ways for him to succeed. Uh, like putting him on the floor with Ursan at the same time, which Bud did in game four. And uh, the ones where it was, I think Miritich was the center, Giannis, and I'm trying to think of who else was on the floor. 
in those situations. I can from our friend Positive Residual, uh, Hill, Mirtich, Middleton, Giannis, Connaughton outscored by 14 in its two stints, uh, minus nine at the start of the second quarter and minus five at the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, that's I, I don't think that's a good lineup. Like I, I don't I don't think that's good. Um, and I just think with Mirtich, like you, you do have to probably play him a little bit more selectively uh, if he's not hitting shots. Like that's to me, those are just kind of like the facts of life of Nikola Mirtich. Like if he's cold, uh, I, he's not bringing you a lot of value. Um, so I think maybe you see Bud play a little bit more carefully with him. Um, and then, you know, with Bloodstone and Hill, I know there's a lot of people that don't want Eric Bledsoe, uh, you know, taking bad shots, doing, I mean, mean, just playing bad in general, right? Um, But I'm not convinced that benching Eric Bledsoe is the way to get a positive outcome because uh, you're not going to play George Hill for all 48. Like You're going to need something from Bledsoe. And uh, I mean, it's an absolute killer that in games three and games four, it's been an absolute killer that Siakam has been able to largely ignore him, help out off of like off of Hill or off of uh, Bledsoe onto Giannis and just muck everything up. But as Bud has said this entire year, and I think as we've seen, this Bucks team is really good when Eric Bledsoe is really good. And I think you've got to get something out of him. And I'm not... I think the only thing you do by benching Bledsoe to start the game, and again, like you can bring him out quick, like you did the other night. I think after three minutes, uh, Bud brought in Hill. Like you can do that, but I think benching Eric Bledsoe is just something that we've seen how, I guess, fragile he can be mentally. Like, I just don't think that would be the way to handle it. Uh, I think it could only be a bad thing. And honestly, if if I know Bud the way that I think I know Bud, I think Bloodsoe's getting the first shot tomorrow night. Like they're gonna run a play for Bloodsoe to either get a three, get to the basket, something. Like Bloodsoe will be involved in the first play tomorrow night. Like that will be how they script it. Yeah, and I mean, I think we we talked about it. Um, we would sometimes talk about it during the kid era, and I would often invoke Mike D'Antoni um, talking about a lot of times talking about like just people shooting threes, right? And you know, like our old adage of you know, you can't make a lot of threes if you're not willing to shoot threes. Um, (laughs) And I think when you talk about like the best coaches, uh, I think D'Antoni is a really good example. Um, You know, Bud's a good example. These are guys that are not like slapping guys on the wrist for for being aggressive, right? I mean, that's obviously a, a very common theme with Bledsoe is when he's aggressively attacking, that's kind of generally when good things happen. Now it's hard when, he's being kind of like baited into taking jump shots because obviously he's, I mean, he's not a bad jump shooter, right? He's 34, 35% career. It's not like he's Giannis from three or something, but it's just not happening right now. And it's, it's obviously seems beyond like just the ball's not going in, right? Like Miritich, you could say is in a bit of a slump. I think Bledsoe, especially after what we saw last year, you worry that there's, you know, a, a deeper kind of issue here with him not being able to, to replicate what he does in the regular season during the playoffs. Um, But that said, yeah, I mean, (laughs) the upside of benching Bledsoe is, you know, you're starting, either you're starting Hill 
Um, and you know, or maybe you're starting Hill and Brogdon or something. I don't know. You know, I don't know what, whatever, you know, the, the idea would be. Um, but then if it works, then Eric Bledsoe is just a six man all year. And then when George Hill like inevitably leaves, then you just like, you just act like that didn't happen next year. And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, Eric, you're a good regular season player. So we'll have to, you know, maybe we'll have to bench you again in the playoffs next year. I mean, it, that's just not, you know, the Bucks need Eric Bledsoe to be good, you know? And I think when we talk about like, well, why the, have the Bucks struggle? It's like, well, Giannis is being defended really well, right? Um, okay, maybe his free throw shooting is is a problem. He really, I mean, he's hit like some some a handful of threes, but like his jump shooting, other than his three point shot, occasionally is like just not there at all. Like it just mm-hmm. feels like if he's taking a jump shot this series, and even to a large extent last series, just it's just not going in. Um, and again, he was like a forty percent plus shooter on uh, long twos during the regular season, which is kind of easy to forget. Um, but it's just not happening. He just something's 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 up with that. But obviously, he doesn't need that to, to still be effective. Whereas with Bledsoe, um, they're doing a good job of just like I mean, him and and Brogdon as well. Like whether you know Giannis is the obvious guy we look at, but Bledsoe and Brogdon are not getting those like driving lanes to to get layups the way that they did during the regular season when the Bucks were able to really stretch teams out. And um, so I, again, I think you just have to sort of live with the fact that Bledsoe is going to have to play. And I think, again, like benching him is probably not going to be the magic elixir to, to unlocking him. Um, but I do think there are things you can do, like, you know, what you mentioned. I, I, I kind of noticed it in the first quarter. I'd never seen Bledsoe be the first guy out at like the 830 mark, right? That's very strange. Yeah. But it was pretty obvious that they were staggering him and Giannis so that both of them weren't on the same on the court at the same time, since obviously you know, if Giannis isn't involved in a play, you're going to sag off him. And if Bledsoe's not in the play, you're going to sag off him. So unless you're just running lots of, you know, one, five or, or well, one, four or four, one pick and rolls, which they should be doing when those guys are on the court together. Um, you're, you're constricting the court for whoever's trying to, to, to attack. So I thought that made sense to me in a lot of ways. Cause obviously, you know, other than Giannis, all the other bigs, the bucks play can stretch out to the three point line. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if your second or third most productive regular season player uh, and all defensive player, we haven't mentioned that Giannis and, and Bledsoe both being named all defensive first team today, which is both well deserved and, and obviously a great honor for them. Um, if if Bledsoe is not living up to his capabilities offensively, I mean, you're at a huge disadvantage. I mean, this is how the Bucks can be a really, you know, a really poor half court team and a really mediocre offense is when their starting point guard is, you know, being treated like Rajon Rondo basically mm-hmm. as a shooter. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess to put that to bed, you know, if this was a pure meritocracy, yeah, I, I get the idea of like Bledsoe hasn't been good enough, but if you follow the way bud coaches and the way a lot of great coaches handle guys, especially when you're talking about key guys, um, you know, I mean, again, it's not by, yanking them when they have when they're in a slump or when they're struggling with things like you know coaches have to be psychologists on top of all the other things they do mm-hmm. and i think you know again like telling Bledsoe, you know it's one thing to punish Bledsoe if he's not trying on defense um it's another thing to punish him for not seeing shots go down and i think any coach who plays you know who encourages the kind of offense the bucks play whether it's d'antoni Budenholz, or whoever else you know, they're successful because they breed confidence and belief in guys, not because they, you know, basically tell them they can't do things right. I mean, Jason Kidd telling Giannis he can't shoot threes, right? 
everybody hates everybody hated that right yeah. <laughs> unanimously people thought that was bad people always still cite that right so i don't know how you can say like you know oh bledsoe can't shoot right now like bench i realize they're not equivalent but you know again like negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement i'm i'm always very much in favor of the latter over the former um especially with this guy when it's guys who are actually good <laughs> eric bledsoe yes. is a good nba basketball player so uh so yeah i again i understand where the idea comes from especially with the way hill has been playing but in the grand scheme of the universe you know doesn't mean you have to play bledsoe 35 minutes right we saw bledsoe only play 20 minutes the other night so that's that's a pretty severe yep. adjustment from bud already and again i think you know um we've seen it throughout this series that he's been obviously much more willing to go to hill as as games have worn on so hopefully he doesn't have that same pressure hopefully bledsoe elevates his game but um it's definitely a big issue and you know if the bucks lose the series we're going to have a lot of the same conversations that we had about Bledsoe after the Celtics series last year, again, after this series. Right. And and that sucks. It's going to be even more uncomfortable this time. It's, it's going to be more, yeah, with, with the contract and everything mm-hmm. else, it's going to be really awkward. But um, anyway, enough about eulogizing Eric Bledsoe's playoff career. Um, <laughs> you meant, you mentioned some other things. What, what else? Um, why don't we talk about Brogdon? I, I, I am personally, I view that, I, I mean, I've been, we've been talking about this. Like, I, I advocated for getting Brogdon the starting five sooner rather than later just because that's what you kind of have done all season. Mm-hmm. And Miritich playing with the starting five, I mean, we've seen, you know, he's been scrappier on, like, the boards than I think maybe people would have assumed he would be. Um, we didn't see that necessarily last night or the game before. Um, but he's definitely had periods where he's really, you know, helped the Bucks by using his size to get offensive rebounds, um, kind of be scrappy and make plays defensively. But I mean, fundamentally, like, you know, Miritich um, isn't like unlocking some incredible mismatch or anything when he's starting with those guys. And so to me, you know, I would just say, go back to what you were used to doing all season long. Um, it's kind of a more natural matchup anyway. And even though I don't think, you know, Miritich is, has better range. He's not as accurate a shooter as Brogdon on like, you know, catch and shoot 23 foot, 10 inch threes, which Brogdon is great at. Um, you know, Miritich, I think would say has more gravity just because he's willing to gun with, you know, even when he's covered and further out. Um, but Brogdon, given that, you know, he's really a threat to drive off, off, you know, catches as well. Um, and can pressure the defense and is just a better passer. And I think in general, like when your offense isn't going well, I think having more good passers on the court, more ball handlers, probably a good way to go. So to me, that seems like an obvious one. You're not going to start Miritich in a three big lineup against the Warriors if you make it to the finals anyway. So I think you might as well just bite the bullet. And, you know, especially after two losses that's usually when bud feels comfortable making at least some change um so that would be that would be one that i think would be pretty obvious i i would probably say that's more likely to happen than not but i don't know what what's your sense of it yeah i think i, I kind of lean that way as well like i i know there's probably at least a little bit of concern about Brogdon coming out uh, yeah, coming out with a, an yeah. 0 for 7 night after bumping up above 30 minutes in game three. And obviously, like, there's not extra rest days in here uh, during this series. There's just every other game. So I, I would guess there's probably uh, just just a small bit of concern about that. But, I mean, you can control for it. And ultimately, I think 
in, in some ways, Mirtich is, I don't want to say, is encouraging Giannis's, uh, I don't want to say worst habits because making the right play is not a bad habit, but uh, <laughs> like it, it is. By, by definition, it shouldn't be. Yes. But like it is, like when he sees Mirtich, he tries to get Mirtich threes. And when, yeah, when Mirtich is ice cold, it's a bad idea. Like I, I it is the right idea. Like, I, and this is something that I really struggle with. And I, I wrote that at the athletic today that, you know, like Giannis, I think in some ways right now is going through the, uh, I mean, man, it's almost two decades ago or not two decades. It's over a decade ago now where, you know, we would talk about young LeBron and we'd be like, well, you know, he's always just, He's willing to make that pass and, you know, he's always been like, it's, it's the right pass, but it's Danielle Marshall. Like, should you really throw it to Danielle Marshall in the corner or, you know, should you like just use your physical skills to get to the basket? And uh, like, it's never that simple, right? Like, it's never like, oh, I should go dunk instead of passing it to this guy. Like you, you do have to weigh these things out and obviously with the way that the the Raptors are defending Giannis, like it's going to be incredibly difficult to get to the basket. Uh, but it, it just felt like there was the play that I clipped after the game last night was he, he go, he gets a Danny green switch and then he's sitting there with Danny green in front of him. He could have taken Danny green to his right. Mirtich was the one in the corner and he sizes it up waits for the help defender to come over just an extra step and then whips it to Mirtich for a three. And it was like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the wrong play, but man, your team could really use you dunking on Danny green right now. Like that they've leaned on you all year long and they've leaned on you to make the right play and, you know, be the, the cornerstone of the franchise and, you know, make everyone around you better, but sometimes you just got to do it. And that like, so that's what I mean when I say, like, you know, sometimes actually making the right play to pass to Miritich isn't the right play. And uh, that can kind of lead Giannis uh, down that road. And so with Brogdon, I think what you see is he will make that pass to Brogdon. And then Brogdon is creating something larger than just an attempt from 30 feet he's going to one, either have his toes just right behind the line and hit a three, or he's going to drive it and create something more out of it. And uh, I would agree with you. Uh, We've always said that the best offenses are the ones that have multiple creators on the floor and really as many creators on the floor as possible. And if you put Brogdon on the floor there, realistically, you have five guys that can create. And uh, I, I know Miritich was certainly trying uh, in game four with those pump fakes and floaters and uh, drives, technically drives. Um, he, he's not that bad at that. I mean, he he can hit weird shots, but yeah, obviously not a lot is working out great for him offensively right now. Yeah, like it, yeah, he, he's, he's a good weird shot maker. <laughs> um, but also, like, I think you'd rather have Malcolm doing those things, right? Like, you'd rather have him be the one that is attacking closeouts or, uh, you know, shooting, shooting threes. Like, so, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think Brogdon to the starting lineup makes sense to me. 
and I think he's a good way to to start off game five. And then, um, I mean, I think it takes out some of the awkwardness of just the the Giannis Miritich Lopez kind of combo. Um, so yeah, th- that that would not surprise me. Um, any other adjustment? I want to talk about Giannis, but uh, any any other adjustments you're you're kind of thinking of or thinking about? Um, well, we can talk about Giannis stuff. I think we talked, I mean, the, probably the big ones were, um, you know, blood. So stag continuing blood. So staggering, which isn't really even adjustments, just kind of continuing kind of the new thing that, that bud threw in last game, Brogdon starting. I think the other thing there too, with Brogdon starting is, um, that gives you actually like three, like guys who can capably defend Kawhi one-on-one in the starting Mm -hmm. five, um, which, you know, on paper, could give you more options as far as just like straight switching pick and rolls um, when Kawhi's in, in a pick and roll. Um, and again, not that like Kawhi is killing them with like pick and pop plays, but we've seen Gasol getting off of late. And, you know, like if you're, um, I mean, again, the part of the issue is, I mean, you're still going to have Brooke presumably defending um, uh, uh, Gasol, we saw them actually going to switching kind of, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter of the last game, which is usually like kind of the white flag move from Bud. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I would be very surprised if like he was letting Kawhi switch onto Lopez in half court situations um, on a, on a pick and roll. Um, but just like kind of, obviously like you have a lot of player movement, a lot of cutting, um, you know, again, there's less of a consequence if, you know, Giannis ends up or, or Brogdon who has been, very good, I would say overall on on Kawhi overall. He's obviously not as big as Chris, but I think he's done a really admirable job. You do have more flexibility to kind of play those different guys. Now, obviously, the, the benefit of having Brogdon off the bench is that you can stagger him and Chris really easily, and you always have like one of those guys on the court to defend Kawhi. So that's that's the downside. But um, but yeah, I, I think again, it it gives you more versatility to defend on the perimeter. Obviously, Brogdon, you know moves better clearly than than Miritich out there so maybe you lose a little bit certainly from like a rebounding perspective which you know last game was actually a big deal that that they struggled on the boards um which is you know again uh something we have not seen uh much from the Bucks. I think I think the the defensive rebound rate wasn't catastrophic right I think it was still like in the high mid to high 70s by the end of the game but a lot of those offensive rebounds like came from Ibaka like during kind of important moments in like the second quarter and third quarter. I mean, it was 60 ish for a while. They definitely got some help in garbage time on that defensive rebound rate. Yeah. So um, I guess otherwise, I mean, well, let's get into Giannis and then maybe we talk a little bit defensively. Um, but why don't we talk a little bit about Giannis? And, you know, you mentioned a little bit like him passing to Miritich, maybe overpassing to Miritich, looking to get him going, which is kind of a natural thing to do given the way Miritich can shoot it. But um, what what else are you thinking with, with Giannis? So, you know, I, I think throughout really this playoffs, we, we've just kind of seen Giannis at some point in a series figure it out if that makes any sense, like he, he figures out however that team is trying to defend him, no matter in what way they're trying to defend him, like he figures it out. And from there, he just kind of, he rolls. And, uh, you know, I think you, you kind of circle game three against the Celtics where he goes 32 points, eight assists, and, uh, you know, just just brings it to, to Al Horford and just goes. And, you know, like as you think through it, uh, 
I am curious if one, if that's coming, but then also two, if, if it even can, because I thought for a while, you know, the, the answer for a lot of teams to make it really difficult on Giannis was to flat out ignore Eric Bledsoe and to ignore him with a defender that, I mean, essentially take the Bucks plan, right? Like that's what the Bucks do to teams. They find the guy that they can ignore on the perimeter, put Giannis on him, and then let him roam all over the place. And the Raptors have done that with Siakam. And they've said, all right, like he can just totally ignore Eric Bledsoe and just be in the way and muck everything up. And that's where I, I am wondering if, you know, I thought at, as that Celtics series went on, Giannis figured out that he could just go through Al Horford. Al Horford wasn't going to flop and he could put his shoulder into him and he could just get to the rack. And, you know, he, he mentioned the fact that, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm going to get charges and that's fine. You can, you can have your two charges. I'm going to get my 18 points in the paint. And I don't think Kawhi Leonard is, is someone that will flop. So I do think he can put his shoulder into him, but he took no charges this year. So your hypothesis would seem to be correct. So like he can put his shoulder into him, but what he's going to have to accept is that on those dribble moves where he does put his shoulder into Kawhi, there's a good chance that, you know, he might get ripped once or twice, maybe three times. Like Kawhi's hands are that good. He is that strong. He is that tough that when he is making a dribble move, like, there, you can get stripped. That that can happen with Leonard. But I do wonder if at some point he just has to accept that and say, all right, I'm going to accept that. I'll take those couple, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to accept taking a beating from me and then also trying to be your team's best offensive player. And I, I want, I, I, I don't think we've seen that to this point. And I, I do understand, like, watching every drive Giannis has uh, thus far and, you know, watching back again uh, game four, like, they, the Raptors do a really great job building a wall. And that wall is even tougher because they've, I think, gone to the furthest extent of ignoring uh, some players. But I'm curious if, if there is a, a freak of nature, uh, force of nature, just – you know, Giannis game in him where he can just do that to this Raptors defense. I'm not hundred percent sure that there is, but I am, I am thinking that we're going to get one of those or, or at least an attempt at one of those. Do you think it's even possible? Do you, I know the, the fact that they send a post double every time he's in the post has made it much more difficult for this to occur, but do you think he can do that off the dribble or I guess kind of what are you seeing? I think it's always possible. I mean, you know, he, he scored 43 against them in the the loss early in the season at Pfizer Forum. So, I mean, um, I, I, it, there's always the potential of that with Giannis, no matter, I think, who he's, who he's going against. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk, obviously, of like how Giannis or how Kawhi has like really been able to shut him down. And I think it's it's really twofold. I mean, it's that Kawhi is good at sort of defending him when he's just facing up from the top of the key and driving. And then, um, and then it's just that where, you know, kind of like, as you were alluding to the area where Giannis is going to be able to like really take advantage of Kawhi is with his back to the basket. But 
they just double team. So, you know, the Raptors are doing a really good job of basically dictating the terms of engagement and making sure that Kawhi is only kind of having to defend him one-on-one in ways and in, in sort of scenarios where Kawhi can can hold up very well, right? Which is where Giannis is, is driving kind of right at him and Kawhi's moving his feet, using his length um, and strength and making it hard for Giannis to just kind of go over him. And, you know, we've seen Giannis against like even Danny Green, who's a very, very, you know, has been a very good defender over the years. You know, Giannis can just pull the ball over Danny Green's head or Eurostep and just get to the rim and, you know, one or two dribbles and a lot of times it's just you, you almost can't even react fast enough as a defense um versus Kawhi, he offers you just a bit more resistance he's bigger he's stronger he's longer um and so that's just a bit harder and then yeah i mean you know we saw early in the season he had a post up where Kawhi sort of reached and he just spun right around him for a dunk um you know we saw in game two in one of the rare chances Kawhi had to defend him and I think it was in the fourth quarter, Giannis just backed him right in the lane for a three point play. And so, I mean, clearly like Giannis can score on Kawhi if he has room and, and time, but the Raptors are doing a great job of making sure that he doesn't have much of that. And so, you know, if he gets the ball in the perimeter, he's got it. Basically it's like one dribble, two dribbles to get to the rim. And um, you know, the help often, if he doesn't do that, the help is going to come. If he's probing, the help is going to come and he's not going to be able to, you know, certainly score himself. But I think the thing that probably has disappointed me most just from like the Bucks tactically is, you know, there's a reason why teams just don't just double team the opponent's best player every time down the court. And that, that works against great players. It's because if you double team in the NBA, especially with shooting, you're going to get burned, right? I mean, the, the, the that's why, you know, and again, there's there's exceptions and we've seen like, you know, uh, New Orleans really took Dame Lillard out of a series, you know, last year just by basically trapping him and making him give up the ball. But for the most part, I mean, we're Bucks fans. We saw what the Bucks did under Jason Kidd in terms of like really trapping the ball and, <laughs> you know, throwing a lot of bodies at the ball. You know, especially with a guy like Giannis. I mean, Giannis is not like some like big traditional post center who can't pass well, right? Um, he's taller, longer than all these other guys on the court. He's obviously got very good vision and he should be able to make reads and make the right pass to get. The Isn't there like some thought that you should do it every damn time down the floor? Like you want to double? Yeah. Just do let it. him double. Like this, every, this every single is, time. Yeah. This team has literally been built to put spacing around Giannis. So especially yeah. in game three, like the fact that, the reaction to Giannis like struggling in the post and getting doubled and having some turnovers was let's just go away from Giannis. It's like, okay, well what the hell good is Giannis doing if he's just standing on the wing, watching other guys dribble around? I mean, you're not guarding him for, to, to spot up. Like, I mean, he's a liability if you're not going to put the ball in his hands. So to me, that was like a really defeatist thing to do to basically give in to those doubles and not even try to, to attack that. Cause yeah, like he said, I mean, any superstar, if they double, like you, you, you know, teams generally find ways to punish the opponent for doing that and creating odd man situations, you know, on other, on other parts of the court. And especially with Giannis, you know, and with sh- the shooting around him, you have to be able to do that, especially if you're going to, you know, stagger Bledsoe and put George Hill on the court more. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, don't shy away from the from the post just because of these double teams. I mean, you've seen it enough now. You know, I, I got frustrated because the first double they threw at him in game four Pat Connaughton flashed baseline, and we've seen Connaughton flash baseline for easy layups and dunks. He had been year. waiting for that cut the whole damn yeah. series. 
Yeah. And he just booted it. And he just booted it. And it was like, ah, you know, because that's the kind of play that, like, you know, you get one or two of those. You get some ball movement that creates open threes. Those are the kind of plays that make the defense, you know, the the opposing coach say, okay, maybe I'll take my chances with that guy just trying to go one on one with, you know, my best defender in the post. Um, So, yeah, it's it's frustrating that, that the Bucks just sort of gave up on that because, you know, again, if you, you know, are basically telling Giannis, you're only going to be able to get the ball as either a roll man or just facing up 25 feet away and just go try to make something happen against a team, a team that's loading up on you. That's tough. I mean, it doesn't give him as many options. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, embrace the post, you know, like, and again, you don't want to just turn Giannis into just purely a post guy because he can do a lot of other stuff and variety is obviously really important. I think, you know, when Bledsoe's on the court, you absolutely need to run, with Giannis as the ball handler and Bledsoe screening, you absolutely need to run with Bledsoe as the ball handler and Giannis screening, even if they're just, you know, laying off, switching, doing stuff like that, just, you know, maybe you get some switches out of it or something like that. So yeah, for, I mean, again, every time Giannis has a bad game, like we always just kind of come back to the same thing, like just do different things, provide different looks, you know, and what happens has does Giannis ever have like two stinkers in a row? No. And it's not like he had a stinker last night either. Right. I mean, he, again, he kind of started really quickly, um, and then obviously, kind of game got harder as the game as as things went on. But you know, overall, I mean, he answered the bell. I'd say. Um, I mean, he had a you know he, he had a better offensive night certainly than Kawhi, but again, just didn't have the help. Yeah, I, I would agree, and that is one thing I'm I'm really interested in is like I I tend to think good things happen when the Bucks get that post double. Like I think it, it's been relatively like a, a good thing. Like obviously bad things have happened. He's tried to throw uh, the pass on the double to the cutter down the lane. It's gotten stolen. I know that was the uh, start of game three. They had one of those. And obviously you mentioned the one with, with Connaughton, but it was like, to me, I, I want Giannis. I want that look 10 out of 10 times. If you can tell me I get Giannis Dedekumbo throwing a baseline cut to Pat Connaughton, I, I I would have to run the numbers on it. I don't know if Synergy could get that specific for me, but I would guess the points per possession on that is about one point eight points per possession. Like that that it's it's a dunk. Like that that is a dunk almost every time, except when Pat Connaughton just doesn't catch the ball. Uh, so to me, that's kind of, it's been, I, I agree with you. It's been strange to see that be shot away from, because the other thing I think about is, all right, Marcus, all you want to shoot the ball? Well, how about you double them every damn time? And let's see how well you want to shoot on the other end, right? Like this is all about making people work, making them uncomfortable and having Marcus all do that for 30 minutes on a night feels like something that that would be really you know detrimental to his offensive games so uh yeah I, i'm i'm curious uh to see how the bucks will will use Giannis, and, and i'm curious to see how much they use Giannis. like it I, it just feels like back against the wall lost two straight in the playoffs for the first time game five your home court this feels like Giannis plays almost 40 minutes a night and his usage is through the damn roof. Like he is, you are going through him. He is your best player. That's what this is about. You have the if you, 
if you truly believe you are the best player on the floor, which I think the Bucks do, I think they believe Giannis is better than Kawhi. You got to feed him, and you got to feed him until he can't eat anymore. And like to me, that's what that's what Game Five should be about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to go down, go down with your best players shooting, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Don't go down because you're afraid to play through your you know the MVP of the league. Um, so I think that makes sense. What about defensively? I think. Obviously, we can look. You know, if we look at what happened in the last game, I think some of the problems we saw. And again, I'm, I'm going to limit it to the last game because the Raptors' offense was bad in basically the first three games. So, the the Raptors' offense being good is basically like a one game phenomenon right now, and we'll see if it can keep going. Given it was obviously really dependent on a bunch of complimentary guys really playing well, but I think the things we've you know we saw were complimentary guys, whether it was Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet. Um, Serge Ibaka, um, Gasol again, um, guys who maybe have you know weren't playing well in, in the previous series and the start of this series, uh, making big plays, making kind of like you know quote unquote energy plays. Ibaka getting a lot of offensive rebounds, um, and other guys just making shots. Right, Norm Powell just looking like whatever it is Norm Powell looks like you know when he plays the Bucks in the playoffs. Um, so we, we have that, right? We saw Kawhi fairly subdued. Looks like he's dealing with some sort of injury. Um, back cut Chris Milton twice, agonizingly. Um, so he, and he still had some like athletic plays, but for the most part, didn't seem to be moving as well um, and didn't have really a big game as Bucks kind of denied him maybe a lot of the opportunities he might normally have. Um, but, you know, it was really Raptor balance that kind of did them in and Raptors making shots. Um, from three for sure. Um, what what's your take? I mean, we know what the Bucks want to do. They want to ball off the paint. I think it was pretty. I think was it even last game in terms of points in the paint or something like 40, that. Forty forty. Yeah. Yeah. So not like a monster paint game from the Raptors. I think it was more the Bucks having a bad paint game than the Raptors having a good paint game. Um, but the Raptors just kind of did everything. They they just kind of won in every phase by a little bit. You know, they were better at the free throw line. They hit like what a couple more, few more threes, yep, um, and didn't get killed in the paint, and all kind of added up to you know obviously a very convincing win. So like, I mean, if you're thinking about adjustments, like, are, what are you doing if you're Mike Budenholzer um, to try to make sure that you don't allow kind of another outlier scoring night from from Toronto? I mean, I think defensively, there's not to me, there's not a ton there. Um, the Bucks are largely executing in many of the ways that they want. I, I think if there's one thing you circle from last game, it's seven Marcus Gasol assists. Like, when he, he was the hub of a lot of the things that they were doing, and when he's able to do that, it makes that Raptors offense a whole lot more dynamic, which means uh, I think you got to do a better job getting the pick-and-pop game under control. Uh, obviously, we saw how Al Horford, uh, really hurt the Bucks in that aspect, and I think you saw Marcus Saul really hurt the Bucks in Toronto uh, when doing that. So, to me, if there if there is an adjustment to be made, I think that's it. Is you know finding a way to contain Marcus Saul a little bit better because you know the like the rest of it, like Norm Powell going four of thirteen from three, is that a killer? Probably not. Yeah, I was, and like, I was surprised that at, his numbers were that bad because it felt like he was a lot better than that. At one point, he was—I uh, think he was three of seven 
And uh, I had a friend text me and say, like, man, all he does is hit big threes. No, he was three of nine at the time. Um, and uh, his third one was a huge one. I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think they were – the Bucks had it to seven, and that made it ten or something like that. And they're like, man, he just keeps in huge threes. And I felt the exact same way. And then I looked up and he was three of nine. And I was like, oh, I guess he hasn't taken, he hasn't made every three he's taken tonight. I really thought he had. Uh, but, you know, like that, all, all of the, the role players shooting, like that's pretty much what the Bucks want. So, um, you know, do I want to, would I prefer to take some of that away? Maybe a little bit, but also I think that's, that's how the Bucks have kind of been built this year. And I know there there's always some disagreement about giving up that many threes, but you know, I think if you if you do a good job containing them at the free throw line at the rim, that's not as it's not as big of a deal. So to me, I, I don't know that I have a ton of adjustments. I think you can always throw a few more switches in there. I think that just is a is a tactic in the playoffs that makes things harder it just mucks things up it, it allow it makes it forces teams to think through things differently execute a little bit differently so you know if you want to throw some switches in there one through four um especially like you said like if you have if you have middleton Giannis, and brogdon on the floor to start like you can probably get away with switching all three of those guys onto Kawhi leonard and if you if you do you know maybe that makes them work a little uh, a little bit more offensively that maybe takes off a little bit of the toll on the legs of Brogdon and Middleton like you know maybe maybe that's something to do but defensively I, to me I don't I don't think there was really a ton there I thought maybe there was some overhelping uh, just bringing a little bit too much towards uh, Kawhi Leonard but ultimately I thought it it wasn't wasn't truly terrible uh, the thing about Kawhi, and we've talked about this like he's kind of weird in that like he's a prober more than anything um like he doesn't just like explode to the rim usually um even mm-hmm. when it's a pick and roll like he's generally like trying to work to like the elbows and obviously he'll happily bully you if if he's got you know like a smaller guy on him um but he's oftentimes like sort of like dribbling and probing into areas where the Bucks just sort of by definition always send help, which is like in the middle of the paint. So that's just kind of, you know, as, as I think you were kind of getting at, like, well, that's just kind of what the Bucks do. Um, but then I think sometimes it's almost like they get lulled to sleep a little bit too. And, you know, whether it's Gasol or whoever, just kind of, you know, again, I think probably a lot of it is more so like just play the way fundamentally you guys have been playing all year don't get caught ball watching, don't get caught Kawhi watching. Um, and that should get you to a much better spot. I mean, again, first three games of this series, there should have been like very few complaints about the Bucks defense given, you know, just what were you going to complain about really, right? I mean, Kawhi had some good yeah. nights, but you defended him pretty well. He hit some tough shots. C'est la vie, right? <laughs> right? I mean, that's the way yeah. it goes. And so... Um, Again, I think you don't want to obviously be overhelping, overrotating, you know, being thrown, you know, getting into the Pat Connaughton, you know, leaping into the third row on closeouts and getting pump fake type stuff. Um, and I think there's definitely stuff that could be improved there um, because I think, you know, when you look at like, especially like the assist numbers Raptors, I think they had like 32 assists or something last night. Um, 
that that is a problem, right? Because I think that shows that they're moving the ball and they're playing together and they're not kind of falling into the like. Well, I, I talked about the Bucks Kawhi watching, but I mean the Raptors also get get kind of caught up in Kawhi watching at times. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think for the Bucks, it's probably more about playing the way they normally play and just doing it better than like completely overhauling kind of what they're doing. You know, like it's not like you need to try yeah. somebody else on Kawhi. There's no like individual matchup that is like murdering you or anything like that. Um, and obviously if you played Brogdon to start, then I think your rotations end up being a little more normal anyway, because you're, you're going fewer jumbo lineups and you know, you're kind of doing more just like typical two big man type type stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean, defensively, I don't think it's like, you know, I don't think, I don't think people should have like the existential angst that they had, like after the, you know, first game against the Celtics. And I was like, Oh my God, like the pick and pop is going to kill us. And, you know, we've seen the Celtics obviously exploit the bucks at times doing that. But, um, you know, so I don't think, I think, and I think like more switching, I'm, I'm always fine with more switching to be honest. Like I, yep. you know, I mean, even if it means Brooke, Brooke Lopez switching onto Kawhi, I don't think that's like a death sentence for the bucks by any stretch. And as good as Kawhi is as a mid range shooter, you know, I think we would both say you can live with him pulling up on Brook Lopez from, from mid range. That's going to be a lot of his shots. Cause the other thing too, is, I mean, Kawhi has, has gotten tons of foul line time in this series mm-hmm. and he's very good at like selling fouls and using his physicality and just kind of like taking defenders who aren't really doing anything wrong and just sort of like burrowing into them and drawing fouls that way, which is, you know, it's smart. Um, but, uh, but you know, again, like there, there is, and, and again, like it's, it's, it's. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, no, just, just force the mid ranger don't foul. It's like, well, yeah, okay, obviously, right? You don't want to foul. <laughs> um, but the Bucks have definitely been caught fouling probably more than they would like, and more than we're normally used to seeing. You know, Lowry getting whatever it was, ten free throws mm-hmm. last night. I mean, he's a great kind of con man in terms of like he'll be driving the basket and just like throw his body sideways to simulate contact and. <laughs> <laughs> there really isn't much there yep. um but uh that's the kind of stuff again like you yeah i think a lot of it is you got to be better at the point of attack and i think some of that is from like the scrambling stuff and just getting beat off the dribble like Connaughton, especially because he always like runs so hard to kind of close out when he's not jumping at guys he's often getting caught flat-footed and getting caught and he gets blown by um especially when he's guarding smaller guys and you know we saw gasol do that a bunch to lopez after he hits hit some threes you know he could put it on the deck and then the bucks are kind of out of position and, and gasol can can make passes and stuff like that so um so yeah i think defensively you know look like one bad game out of four you can kind of live with that and again if you know the entire Raptor bench is going to go nuts scoring wise. Well, you know, well, big gulps, huh? See you later. Yeah. You know, so, Pretty much. um, so anyway, I mean, again, I think the bucks should be favorites playing at home. Um, are the Raptors capable of winning? Of course. Absolutely. Um, but you know, again, also you hope that maybe the bucks do make some tweaks, maybe make that lineup change with Brogdon and, you know, then you cross your fingers that, guys just play better you know your role players your best players everybody just net net just plays better than the other guys i mean it's it's a stupidly non-analytical thing to say but um especially in a seven game series so much of it just comes down to well more guys showed up for our team than your team so we won you know and you know whether it's easy to pick out a guy like Bledsoe who's not living up to his end of the bargain but um 
certainly there's no shortage, right? We saw in the first two games, it was the Bucks getting those types of performances. And obviously, especially last night, it was, uh, it was the Raptors. All right, Frank, we did it. We talked for an hour um, because we haven't talked to each other in a while. So I think this makes sense. I think this should prepare anyone. It's therapeutic, right? We kind of talked through some yeah, things. No, I agree. No, I, I think this should have anyone and everyone ready for game five. Uh, you will handle the podcast afterwards. Uh, hopefully, uh, all of our listeners get to listen to Happy, Happy Frank. Uh, that would that would be ideal. Uh, and remember, if you do want to get the show every day, you can subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Lockdown Bucks. And like I said, hopefully you're listening to a very happy frank that would i think that would be uh that'd be you know what i just want that for frank uh I, I don't need him to you know throw himself on the therapist couch and uh you know really dive deep into what happened in game five i'd prefer for him to you know just have that celebratory t- tone so that's what I'm hoping for you, Frank. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.